Coming up on the Assassins Podcast, we have got Laura McKee, CEO and co-founder of Diversio, joining the show to talk about all things fundraising for her company, Diversio, in the DE&I space. She talks about her experience raising capital as a female founder, but a pretty incredible story on how Laura bootstrapped Diversio to get to profitability, scraping with her team, and the advantages of taking that approach before raising capital. We talk a little bit more about the state of DE&I in the technology industry, the room for innovation there, and the support that companies need. And then last but not least, we talk about other creative ways that founders should be thinking about raising capital as they are looking to grow and scale their companies. It is an awesome episode and interview. All right, without further ado, let's get into it. Assassins, giddy up. See them dollar signs, assassin state of mind, assassin state of mind, hustle, grind. See them dollar signs way above the bottom line, assassin state of mind, hustle, grind. See them dollar signs, assassin state of mind, assassin state of mind, hustle, grind. See them dollar signs way above the bottom line, assassin state of mind. They say money over everything, everything, Asian again. Shopping for a wedding ring, salary, startups, crypto, stock exchange. Appreciate every penny. Pocket change. One phone call and your life can change. What's your love language? Can't do business if it ain't reciprocated. Closing deals on a daily, What is going on, everybody? Happy Friday. It's your host, Justin Vandehey, here at the Assassin's Podcast. It is a beautiful day here in Portland, Oregon. Excited to get into the show. Every week on the Assassin's Podcast, we have a founder on, somebody that can share expertise in a particular area of helping founders get their businesses going and off the ground. This week, we have an incredible guest on. Uh, She's a personal friend of mine. I've got a ton of respect for the business that they've built. Uh, We've sort of been operating alongside one another in the people and engagement space for a while now, so I was thrilled to have her on the podcast. Laura McGee co-founder and CEO of Diversio. Welcome to the Assassin's Podcast. Hey, Justin. Thanks for having me. Glad to hear the weather is nice in Portland. It's a bit of a steam room in New York City, but happy to be here. Well, it's not going to be too big a steam room because you just told me that you're bouncing out of the country here not too long. So I'm pretty, pretty envious of that. Yeah, no complaints. <laughs> so just to kick it off, I'd love maybe just to start with an introduction on yourself. Uh, the journey that you've been on in, in building Diversio and yeah, what the team's focused on today. Yeah, happy to. And as a former founder, I think you can probably relate. You think back and you kind of almost forget where it all began. Um, it feels like this is the only job I've ever had, but maybe a bit of background. So we are a software company and data analytics platform focused specifically on diversity and inclusion. My personal background is I spent most of my career in consulting and saw firsthand companies struggling with commitments to diversity and turning that into real, you know, progress and and actions. And I ended up, long story, leading a piece of work for the Prime Minister of Canada and the President of the U.S. at the time, the Trump Trudeau Council, and had the opportunity to talk to a whole bunch of CEOs who had made diversity commitments. And what I kept hearing is, 
I have no data. I have no metrics. I have no idea what to do on this topic. I don't even, frankly, really know what it means. And having done the consulting bit, it was so clear to me, this is a software solution. We need a platform. We need a SaaS play to help companies really act on that data, track impact, and ultimately put some, you know, walk behind the talk on DNI. Pretty cool. I know before we got on the pod, we were talking about the the founder story a little bit. And the subject for this episode is around sort of that first stage of financing. And I think what's particularly special about what you all have done, I know you've obviously raised some capital. Uh, I know, first, congratulations. I know the round from first round uh, earlier this year. Um, But what most folks might not know about Diversio is that you actually grew the company to profitability before you raised capital. So I'd love maybe just to shed some light on what that process was like and sort of your thinking behind it. And just in general, like the state of, of venture having been in the game here for a little bit. I have a lot of thoughts. Um, so <laughs> where do I begin? Oh. So when we started the company, it was 2018. And the context was nobody candidly believed that diversity was venture backable. I heard that from probably 10 VCs, kind of well-known, smart people. This isn't a space that we see growing. We don't think people are spending real money on it. It's all lip service. And so we, my co-founder and I, quite frankly, could not raise capital early on. Um, but we had this vision, we had this belief, this conviction that diversity and inclusion would become a must-have for companies. And, and so we wanted to invest in building the product. And so we frankly had to get creative. So early on, for me, the secret sauce was partnering, partnerships. And so on both the sales and the product side, we had to get uh, thoughtful around how do we frankly beg, borrow, steal, whatever we can to keep ourselves alive, unpaid for most of the time. But then at some point, you know, certainly when we hired engineers paid. And so what we did early on from a a go-to-market perspective and a revenue perspective, we partnered with uh, YPO, for example, Young President's organization and, you know, sold them the vision, sold them the dream. Why don't you go and convene 20-some-odd companies to do a diversity survey and we will turn it into a dashboard and we're going to charge you for it. And so we had to build the muscle, make the pitch. They were sold. They came on board. That was our first contract. And then we turned around and and said, okay, that contract is not going to pay for an engineering team. So how do we build a product on, on no capital? And so we went to universities and engineering departments and said, hey, We'd love to give a great internship, paid internship opportunity to some of your students. Let's co-create a dashboard. And we couldn't hire a UX designer. So I was, you know, drawing wireframes in coffee shops for the first however many months. Wow. And it was great. From then, we kept going. We had to, everyone had to learn how to sell, which is the most important skill that nobody teaches you. And then you kind of step by step earn revenue, pay your product team. And I think what I really valued about that experience is there's no quicker way to product market fit than having to get to product market fit because that is the only way you will sell the product. I'm quoting that one. That's, that's, the, that's the excerpt from this episode for sure. That's making it on the homepage. <laughs> um, what a hustler's grind there. That's pretty cool. Uh, and it reminds me a lot of Ryan Smith and the team at... Qualtrics. I think there's like some interesting parallels there specifically. Like I know in the early, early days, they actually, they went after the education vertical pretty hard. They hadn't raised any capital up until like they were sitting at, you know, 
couple, I don't even know if it was like 100 million or like 70 million or something crazy like that. So I think there really is something to that around building a sound business. My buddy Bryant is one of the co-founders at Webflow. Same thing. They raised after they had hit 5, 10 million in ARR. Uh, and it's just kind of cool to, you know, you see like the product go to market fit in addition to that. So pretty, pretty cool. On the topic of fundraising, one thing that we've, I'm just going to speak candidly, you're going to come up against, like there are expectations in the venture community that if you are building a profitable business with high margins are like almost impossible to meet. So in a lot of cases, there is a trade-off around growth and profitability or growth and margin. Um, and I, I think that's something that I'm glad that we, quite frankly, I'm glad we didn't steal the pressure of venture early on because I think we would have sacrificed a lot of the high margin efforts in order to achieve growth and frankly, buying customers. So, but it's something, you know, absolutely we hear about now that we are in that community. It's like, well, did you 3X this year? Are you going to, you know, 3X next year? And um, that gets a little bit harder to do if you haven't raised like 40, 50 million. Yeah, for sure. How how big is the team right now? We have about 50 employees. So at 35 full-time okay. and 15 part-time. Nice. Is everybody pretty distributed or how, how has it been with just work, physical work? I guess your whole thinking on distributed teams and remote work. Yeah, I mean, it, it kind of worked for us. We basically did this. So from the beginning, we had this ridiculous, audacious goal. We're going to be the global standard for inclusion with no money. <laughs> um, but we kind of did it. So early on, we had clients in the UK. We had clients in Germany. We had clients in the US. And so we had to hire people locally. And so we were pretty evenly distributed you know, in, even in 2020 between kind of a hub around Toronto, a hub around New York, a hub around London. And then during the pandemic, of course, like everyone else realized we don't really necessarily need to hire in locations. So we hired people in Washington. We hired people in Germany. We hired people in France and South Africa. So everyone is distributed. I will say we have an office in, we still have a physical office in London, Toronto, and New York. We have a quite a few staff in New York and I am the only person day in, then day out that ends up in that office. So uh, what does that say about preferences? <laughs> yeah, right. So digging into the category a little bit more around uh, de and and diversity, I'd love to get just your perspective on the state of specifically the technology industry. You touched on the venture piece. I'd love to just learn a little bit more about your thoughts on that as it pertains to DE&I. The other thing I wanted to ask you about, too, is you all put out a really, really compelling report with the 30% Club that just talks about this intersection of disengaged employees and the correlation that they feel uh, not included in their environments. So just speak a little bit about like what's going on in the industry, kind of where do you see things going? And I'd love to hear a little bit more about the report that you all put together. Yeah, totally. So first on the category, it is a really exciting space to be in because the category is just now emerging. So companies are hiring heads of diversity and inclusion. I think for two years in a row, the head of DNI was the fastest growing job category on LinkedIn. Um, and now companies are realizing, okay, this is no longer just something we put on the website. It's something that folks expect action metrics behind. So I've seen a huge acceleration of even budget as one indicator and certainly staffing and uh, ERGs, employee resource groups around this topic. So I think we're seeing that um, 
companies are taking it seriously. So that that's interesting. And kind of one funny anecdote is we sold into venture firms as customers before we raised capital. So it was there was a bit of a lag between like the HR teams at VC firms were like, wow, this is a thing that we literally need to have on hand before the investment teams were bought in that people would, would buy it. So I think there was a bit of a lag in the VC space, although that's changing as well. But yes, it's a cool space to be in. It's um, evolving. It's complicated. People pussyfoot around a lot of the conversation. So you often have to get people past the the politics and the assuming positive intent and all that good stuff. Um, but on the report, absolutely. I think we found maybe just a high level. What we did is we had developed algorithms that can analyze employee free text data. Uh, that was a university partnership early on. That was the only way that we could afford to build AI. But so we built these algorithms <laughs> and we basically ran them on online employee reviews. And what the algorithm does is it can pick up in a string of text if somebody is speaking about an inclusion pain point. So for example, if somebody says, I went to the holiday party and my manager came on to me, the algorithm says that's harassment. Or if they say, my boss keeps making sexist remarks or racist remarks, still, it'll pick up that that's toxic leadership. And so what we did is we went on and we figured out of all the negative online employer reviews, how many of those reviews included some sort of inclusion pain point. And even to our surprise, it was 79%. And so what that tells us is when people are, when employees are dissatisfied and disengaged, everybody likes to think it's a comp problem. And look, everyone's mad because they want to make more money or they don't believe in the CEO. And what we found is like your sense of community, your sense of belonging is one of the key predictors of whether you'll be productive and engaged. Yeah, I guess you see a lot of it on Glassdoor, but it, everybody always assumes it's a comp problem or it's like a benefits problem. As a, a female yeah. founder specifically, I, this was ta talking about the tech industry more broadly, but like what, what was that process like raising venture capital? And for this is this pod's all about first time founders. So for first time female founders, are there specific recommendations or things that you think would be valuable for the for the female founder raising capital for the first time to think about? Yeah. So first things first is generally let's not fix the women, let's fix the systemic problems, but also let's be practical. Like the female founders need to raise capital. So maybe I'll give my advice that belies kind of my general sense. But um I think insight number one or piece of advice number one for me is that raising capital, honestly, was quite easy. So we were lucky in terms of it was 2021 and, you know, everyone was going crazy. But more importantly, we had an incredible balance sheet. We'd been growing 3x year over year. We had extremely capital efficient. And so the value prop was very strong. Um, and so that my piece of advice number one, that's why I like bootstrapping is it forces you to get to metrics that we actually had no idea that we were like top 1% on a lot of these metrics because we just had to put our head down and go for it. So I think building that discipline early by bootstrapping, I think can often position you to go out and raise. And when you have a great scorecard, then those conversations always go easier. But the second thing is one thing I was pretty ruthless about is curating the investors that I wanted to spend time on. And so there were absolutely VCs out there who don't really believe that diversity is, a, they think it's a fad, it's a trend. And so I was ruthless in the first conversation. Within five minutes, I would say, tell me why you believe in this market. Before I tell you anything about the company, you tell me why you think this is a space you want to be in. And if they didn't have a good answer, I would end the call. And so that allowed me to really focus my attention on investors where there was, you know, a possible fit. 
Flipping the script. I just wrote, I published this article, making a plug for my own content. I wrote this article that Entrepreneur fe featured this last week around selecting the right investor. And my opening comment is that like, when you first time founders, we had no reputational capital, <laughs> no credibility, no nothing. And we didn't have as strong of a balance sheet. So you get what you get. That, that was my whole takeaway was don't settle for crappy rum raisin ice cream. Go for Rocky Road, unless you're really a fan of rum raisin. But that was the whole premise was like, go for what you think you deserve versus what is being given to you. So I love that as an example. And the fact that you went into qualify to make sure that it was like culturally a good fit for the business that you're building. I would say the, the other thing, and I'm sure you were good at this, Justin, having spoken a few times, but have a story to tell. And it's feedback that I heard. I had, it's kind of funny, but the smartest people who have in our business who have frankly built the whole thing have been our interns. And so I had my intern last summer was 19 years old. He was a student at Queens University. His name was Sahil. He was a rock star, but he didn't know. He just went in there, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, and then got that Series A race. And I'm not kidding when I say he did this, like almost single-handedly, taking investor calls on his own and pitches. And we went in there with, you know, we practiced the story. So here's the problem we're solving. Here's the background. Here's why this is a solution. Here's why no one has been able to do it before. And here's what the future looks like. And the one thing I'm kind of learning consulting was how to build a great PowerPoint deck. And he then went on to a venture capital internship and called me afterwards and said, I was shocked at how few founders come in with a talk track. And then you're on back foot and we're kind of forced to ask the questions and we're not going to get the best impression of the business just you know de facto so i think going in there with here's the vision and i do think communication is one of the most important traits of a ceo or coo or whoever's pitching sell them the dream and make sure that you're in control of that conversation words of wisdom awesome takeaway i know we're coming up on time but uh, again just super appreciative for you coming on the show uh, laura what else is it what else would you like to plug or how, how can folks get in touch with you if they want to learn more I'm sure y'all are hiring too. Yeah, we're definitely hiring. Um, so if you are in sales, product, operations, anything startup related, please reach out. I'm at laura at diversio.com. And I think, yeah, the only thing I would leave leave the, the audience with is it's it is remarkable to me, especially for people who went through kind of a business education, finance education, the impression that if you're not venture backed, that you can't succeed. And not only... Is it possible to bootstrap a company? Not in all cases, but in many of them. I would also encourage people to think through, there are other places to get capital other than the kind of straight narrow path, path that's you know painted there. So some creativity in that space can go a long way. Oof. Good way to end the podcast. Laura, thank you for again for coming on. You are a true assassin. Big shout out to you and, and the team at Diversio. We've been a big fan and uh, excited to see where you take the business next. Thanks, Justin. It's a pleasure. All right, that is a wrap. Big shout out to Laura and the team at Diversio. Really enjoyed that conversation. I think there's so much potential in and around how software providers, at really any industry, can embrace the data around DEI within their organizations to to make change and drive change. So, really love the outlook for what Laura and the team are building. We got a big week coming up on the Assassin's Podcast. Going to have Chris Ye back on next week. 
uh, to talk about a couple of companies that we're both excited about. Another great interview coming up this upcoming Friday. And then I also had a piece featured on Entrepreneur focused on founder wellness. So if y'all are experiencing burnout, had a couple things that I suggested uh, as I was going through my own journey and experience that I thought might be useful to share. So give that a look on the site. Until then, keep doing your thing, keep hustling, keep grinding, and keep getting that money. See them dollar signs, assassin state of mind, assassin state of mind, hustle, grind. See them dollar signs way above the bottom line, assassin state of mind, hustle, grind. See them dollar signs, assassin state of mind, assassin state of mind, hustle, grind. See them dollar signs way above the bottom line, assassin state of mind. They say money over everything, everything, Asian again. Shopping for a wedding ring, salary, startups, crypto, stock exchange. Appreciate every penny, pocket change. One phone call and your life can change. What's your love language? Can't do business if it ain't reciprocated.